Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Alex Packer talking about his book, Slaying Digital Dragons. Alex is the author of 11 books for parents, teenagers, teachers, and youth workers, including the award-winning How Rude, The Teen Guide to Good Manners, Proper Behavior, and Not Grossing People Out. He's an expert on manners, adolescent development, child-rearing, substance abuse prevention, and ice cream addiction. He spent 14 years working as the CEO and president of FCD Educational Services, the leading nonprofit provider of on-site K-12 substance abuse prevention services for schools throughout the United States and in over 65 other countries. We're talking with Alex today about digital devices and how we can help our teenagers take control of their devices instead of letting their devices control them. We're going to look at some of the hidden effects of digital devices that parents don't really often understand and that teenagers sometimes overlook. And we're going to see how the way parents think about screen time and tend to talk about screen time with teenagers is actually not the best way to think about it and can be counterproductive. We're also going to look at where parents often go wrong when we try to have conversations with teenagers about digital devices and screen time. And Alex is going to share some specific techniques for what we can do with our teenagers to encourage a better relationship with technology. All that and more is coming up on the show. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Talk to me a little bit about the origins of this book. It's called Slaying Digital Dragons, Tips and Tools for Protecting Your Body, Brain, Psyche, and Thumbs from the Digital Dark Side. What inspired this? Where did it come from? Why did you think this book was so important to write? And where'd you find all this information? I wrote the book because of my increasing concern about the impact on growing bodies and brains and uh, social beings of living so much of one's life through a screen. Mm. And, you know, I've spent most of my professional life working with young people, and I wanted to empower them to take charge of their digital lives. You know, what I think happens is we don't make decisions about how we want to relate to the digital world. We just grow into that from the youngest age. And I want kids to become mindful of it and to understand how 
spending so much time on a screen and how the digital world can affect them socially, emotionally, psychologically, affect their relationships. So that's really why I wrote the book. I didn't feel there were any books out there that really got into the the nitty gritty, the dark side of it, that big tech and social media is really digging around inside you to manipulate and influence and even addict you to their platforms. And so the idea then is this a book is for young people who want to learn more and get a handle on their um, digital lives. Yeah, it's aimed at teenagers, but a lot of adults have already told me that they've read the book and have, <laughs> you know, had, had fun and learned a lot. You know, the information is valuable for anybody. Yeah. yeah. And people sometimes say to me, you know, kids are never going to want to read this. What makes you think they're going to listen to a, a message? You know, phones are like their significant other. And, uh, you know, you're going to just turn them off and they'll get defensive. And I couldn't disagree more with that because what I see is teens are concerned about phones. I mean, in two different surveys, 40 and 50% of teens said they feel addicted to their phones. And 90% believe that it is a problem for people their age. So I think there's receptivity. They, they know that it distracts them. They know that it kind of compels them to constantly be online to keep up with things. So I think they are open to learning more about how this might affect them and ways, the tips and tools that they can use to protect themselves. Yep. So you say you've been working with young people for a long time. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm trained as a psychologist and, and an educator. And for many years, I was the head of a, an alternative middle school for kids. And then for, gosh, I think about 11 years, I, I ran lead, leading nonprofit uh, provider of substance abuse prevention and education uh, for schools around the world. So, you know, I come at this from many different angles, and I probably spend eight to nine hours a day on a screen. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not coming at this from some, some judgmental, holier-than-thou yeah. position. I mean, my position is the digital world is a miracle. It's absolutely unbelievable what we can do with it, how it enhances our lives. Yeah. But as much as it's a miracle, it's a monster. And we have to be aware about both sides in order to take charge of our digital lives so that our phone is our tool and we don't become its tool. And so that's kind of a, something that you've been seeing 
uh, with young people more recently is a difference in the way they relate to digital devices or that their relationship with their with their smartphones and their relationship between their offline and online self is becoming more uh, like reactive or less proactive or what? Well, I think the pandemic has revealed a lot to teens and all of us about the role of the digital world in our lives. Because yeah. on the one hand, it was life-saving. Where would we have been all locked up in our yeah. homes if we didn't have uh, the internet so that we could work remotely, go to school remotely, connect with our friends. So to a great extent, I think it really saved lives, quite literally, and it kept people from just going totally bonkers. At the same time, I think kids realized, adults too, that remote learning is just a shadow of face-to-face in-person learning. And you can have all the Zoom parties you want with your friends online, and it's nothing compared to being, you know, together with your friends. Think of, you know, I always kind of got emotional during the pandemic when I saw uh, videos of birthday parties where kids would walk by someone's house or teachers would drive by and drop diplomas on kids' porches because they couldn't do it in person. And the, you know, the the joyfulness of people, even if they're waving, you know, from at their friends and their teachers, it like reminded everybody of the essential nature, the need for in-person human communication. And in the most recent survey I've seen about this, the number one preferred communication method of teens is texting. Mm. So maybe that was that survey was pre-pandemic. I'll be very curious to see if after the pandemic, maybe it changes. But talk about a warning sign. Kids prefer to text their friends than to be with them face to face. That concerns me. So what do you think is going on there? Well, many things. I think, you know, adolescence by definition is a very difficult, challenging time, especially socially. And teens are compelled to seek popularity. There's even an evolutionary basis for it. You know, if you think back thousands of years, um, earlier humans, once they developed communication, they discovered that working together, banding together, forming alliances, sharing food, uh, sharing shelter made them safer. So in a sense, seeking popularity, being popular, increased your chances that you would be included in those alliances of security. 
So you fast forward to today, well, teens don't have to worry about charging lions or you know going out to hunt every evening for dinner. But that need, that desire to bond and belong and communicate and form friendships, that continues. And if you think about it, that is the currency of social media becoming popular because it, it's almost too in your face. I mean, think of likes and shares and right. favorites yeah. and followers. retweets and thumbs up and followers. Yeah. You are getting a 24-7 report card. And for teens, I think that is a huge stress. And all the research on popularity has revealed that basically, and you know, I'm kind of simplifying here uh, yeah. for my own brain, but basically there are two types of popularity. One is status seeking. And those are the cool kids in high school. You know, they've yeah. got the coolest clothes and cameras and iPhones and cars, and they're the trendy ones. And they're constantly seeking that status and having yeah. to maybe even fight to maintain it. The other type of popularity is what you could call likability. And those are people who are likable because they're friendly, they're warm, they show an interest in you, they're responsible, they you know, honor their commitments. And what yeah. the research shows is that teens who had status popularity during adolescence do much worse later in life. They have poorer friendships, poor intimate relationships. They make less money. They have more health issues. Whereas the likable kids carry that into their adulthood and on those similar measures they do much better so what i see happening to sort of tie it back to the digital world i think social media for many kids is putting status seeking popularity on steroids yep. and they live and die based on how many likes a post got and so I think not only is it creating in the moment a great deal of stress and for some kids uh, depression, low self-confidence, but I think it is setting them up, them up for later in life, you carry those same filters with you and they make you more aggressive, more suspicious, mistrustful, you're focusing on things that don't contribute to your happiness and fulfillment. Well, so you talk in the book about a lot of different ways that um, that screen time really affects us, affects our body, our sleep, our eyes. It can affect different aspects of our body, our reproductive system, and risk-taking even, behaviors, um, our brain gets affected by it. What do you think are some of the most 
surprising things for teenagers or, you know, if you're talking to teenagers about this stuff, what are some of the effects that they maybe don't know about or that are most interesting to them um, in order to sort of start having discussions with them about this stuff? Well, I think it's easiest to think of these possible effects in categories. You know, you, okay. you mentioned a number of them. I mean, just any repetitive physical action uh, is going to affect your body. Sure. So you have the, the eye strain from staring at a tiny screen. Um, what we call tech neck. You can have aches and pains in your yeah. neck, in your shoulders, in your hands and fingers. Poor posture because you're constantly bending over and looking down at yeah. your device. Um, and maybe the, the most troubling of all is disrupted sleep because so many kids uh. spend hours on their phone right before sleep and not only the the blue light that comes from the screen but the assault the stimuli that assault you you know most screen use is not meditative it's not focused you're being assaulted uh, <laughs> constantly with you know all these sounds and colors and flashes and strobes yeah. and Let's say the last thing of the day, you're looking at your social feeds. Yeah, sure. And there's disturbing stuff Ooh. that comes your way. Right. So right before going to bed, your your being is filled with emotional <laughs> arousal or upsetment or somebody yeah. said something mean. So yeah. that all can disrupt your sleep. And uh, poor sleep, you know, is one of the most significant potential health problems for all people. Yeah. So then, you know, we can move over to the brain as a category of possible effects. And yeah. I was just talking about this assault on your brain from yeah. your phone. And you're the prefrontal cortex of your brain, that's where all the higher functions occur. So, you know, good judgment and learning and, and remembering and, you know, being able to focus for extended periods of time. Yeah. And adolescence is when your brain is really primed for a major period of growth. So you want to be bulking up the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. But what happens is all those stimuli coming your way and, you know, studies show that young people switch what they're doing online, you know, like every 19 seconds. So <laughs> this constant back and forth, instead of bulking up, you know, the higher functions, it is triggering your fight or flight response because your brain doesn't know when it suddenly receives, you know, an assault of sound and fury, it doesn't know whether that's, you know, an elephant charging at you sure, or whether yeah. it's, oh, another TikTok video. So that <laughs> puts you in a constant state of nervous system arousal that can lead to chronic stress. 
Uh, think of if you're watching an incredible car chase in a movie, your body is responding as if it's real, mm. you know, and yeah. you can measure your heart rate, your blood pressure, you know, all sorts of things. It'll be responding like it's a real event, even though your brain knows it's all fake, you're seeing it on a screen. So that's a lot of what's going on uh, in, in the brain. And if it's affecting you that way, it can lead to poor grades, poor academic performance, uh, forgetting a lot of things. So, you know, you can just see how it, it's like ripples that extend out in many ways. I'll just say a few things about the social aspects, because that's, totally. you know, that's where it's at for, for teens. And what seems to be happening is that because teens are leading so much of their lives online, they're not developing social skills to the same extent uh, or at the same pace in a pre-digital world. Yeah. So a lot of teens are uncomfortable face-to-face. Uh, -face. They don't really know how to uh, deal with people, how to solve conflicts, yeah. how to express themselves. And that's why they are drawn to socializing online. You're, you have the protection of oh, it's just a text, or I, I can say it in, you know, six seconds, that kind of thing. And we're seeing that teens are much more sheltered now than they used to be. Um, they don't volunteer as much. They get driver's licenses at later ages. They don't go out as much. They don't date as much because they can just sit at home and do so many things. <laughs> well, I so, do all that effort. Yeah. I can just flick my yeah. thumb. So a lot of basic street smarts are, are not developing. And then you've got a reinforcing cycle where if kids are feeling socially uncomfortable, it makes them even more want to socialize within the realm of their devices uh, rather than, than offline. Yeah. And then, of course, there for some kids, we we're getting into a realm where they're really um, addicted to their phones. And I know it's kind of controversial using that term addiction, but my preferred definition for addiction is the psychological and or physical uh, inability to stop compulsive behavior despite harmful consequences. Yeah. So I think when you think of it that way, um, many teens just can't put their phones down. And once you're addicted, you know, that can really take over and become the tail wagging the dog of your life. A lot of that lesser forms of addiction are habits and it becomes just so habitual. And you talk in the book about identifying habits and triggers 
when it comes to phone and technology use. What does that look like? And uh, how do we do that? And why is that important? It's important because the way teens can take charge of the digital lives is to recognize what they're doing, essentially, to become self-aware. And even though my book goes deep into this dark side of big tech's manipulations and data tracking and all of that, it's a very funny, lighthearted, interactive book. Yeah. And your, your question gets right to the heart of some of the interactivity. So let me talk about that a bit. Um, the first part of the book is called Reflect. And that's where I present kids with nine pretty wacky challenges. You know, they're research-based, <laughs> but they're fun to okay. help them discover their own screen scene. And that's where we get into what you were referring to. You know, I asked them to look at their, their digital habits. You yeah. know, how do they use their phones? Uh, do they always have it with them? Do they keep it on when they sleep? Is it right next to their bedroom? Right. Do they have it on when they're having lunch with friends? And, you know, so getting them aware of what those habits are. Yeah. And sometimes there might be specific triggers. They might realize um, when I'm upset, I go to my phone or when okay. I'm bored, I do it. Yeah. Or maybe they tend to use their phone, you know, external triggers like a text, a phone call, but then they're captive every time that notification comes and I plead guilty to this as well. If I'm yeah. next to my phone and I hear the, Ding. the the sound, I just grab it. It's a reflex. Yeah. Um, so I ask kids in this uh, reflect section, what apps do they use and how much? You know, get a sense of what proportions of your screen time are spent on what apps or doing what what activities yeah. and then how do how do you feel right before and right after yeah. spending time and a kid might discover gosh you know i feel pretty crummy every time i go on that app or i feel wonderful every time and that's valuable information so as they're taking these challenges they can either fill out in the book or they can download from the publisher's website the forms where they can record their answers. Yeah. Another big section for becoming self-aware of your screen scene is where I present them with potential warning signs for problematic or excessive use. Ooh, okay. And that, that gets into what we were talking about um, what are potential consequences? So, yeah. you know, it can be everything from some of the physical consequences, you know, my eyes hurt, my neck hurts, or it can be, uh, I, I feel awkward when I'm face to face with people, or my screen time keeps increasing, or I've tried to limit how much time I spend without success. You know, yeah. there's like, 20 different warning signs. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, and I ask kids, how many notifications do you get each day? So, 
you know, you put all of that together and it gives them a really good picture of their screen scene. Then in the next section of the book, that's really the tips and tools section okay. where I describe in great detail, but I hope very funny <laughs> detail, how big tech is sinking its claws into every aspect of their existence. You really can't think of an area nowadays where big, big tech isn't trying to influence you or get you to relate to that area of existence through technology. Yeah. So if I'm talking about the ways in which social media could harm your self-esteem or could create these negative thought loops where you're always saying to yourself, oh, I'm not cool. I hate myself. I look so terrible. Everybody else's life is better than mine. You yeah. know, you may recognize that in your your own life. And then all that leave, leads to the final section, um, which I call reset. And that's where I present a process that I call giving yourself an app endectomy. <laughs> it's a guided self intervention designed to help you cut out those aspects of your digital life that are causing you harm or imbalance or discomfort so that you can create a more healthy relationship to your devices and the time you spend on a screen. So the book is not a screed against these devices. It's empowerment so that you take charge of them and use them to enhance your life. We're here with Alex J. Packer talking about his book, Slaying Digital Dragons. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. I think for some teens, posting has become their life. You know, they're mm. not posting to share their life. Posting has become their life. Another important thing for parents to think about is what are you modeling with your device? You know, like there are sometimes these trends where you do vandalism in your school. I think that was one on TikTok recently. And yeah. most teens know, I'm not going to do that. That's not Bad. right. That's against yeah. my values. Right. But what the research has discovered is that if those behaviors, if those videos or tweets or, you know, wherever it appears, if they get a lot of likes, teens are far more likely to do it. In other words, we follow popularity. Yeah. And the, the research, you know, they've created sort of artificial social media posts where they'll bring kids in and they'll say, you know, we've had 50 kids like you uh, put things up and, you know, you can like them, not like them. And, and the researchers are controlling the likes okay, for yeah. different posts. 
So what they find is that these illegal or destructive or risky or harmful or antisocial behaviors, if they manipulate the likes so that teens look at those and see that, oh, those are popular, yeah, everybody's doing that, they like yeah. that, those teens are then most, much more likely to approve of them. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.